Hey everyone, it's Taylor here um, and welcome back and thanks for joining us here at CBE Denver's podcast, Mutuality Minded. We at CBE Denver seek to advance the gospel by equipping Christians to use their God-given talents in leadership and service regardless of gender, ethnicity, or class. This podcast in particular is another way to discuss the biblical basis for equality through the inerrant word of God. To encourage one another and to develop leadership skills, and spiritual gifts for the purpose of building up the body of Christ. In this episode, we will be engaging in a conversation about mutuality within scripture, specifically within the Old Testament. Joining us today is Professor of Old Testament and Semitic Languages at Denver Seminary, Dr. Aileen Deller. She is an ordained minister with the Evangelical Church Alliance and a member of the Society of Biblical Literature the American Academy of Religion, and the National Association of Professors of Hebrew. Wow. (laughs) With a PhD and MPhil in Hebrew and Cognate Studies, and with numerous chapters and articles produced, you all, it is a treat to hear from her experience and expertise on mutuality from both her personal experiences and studies within the Old Testament. Thank you very much, Taylor. It's yeah. nice meeting you. It's so it's, great uh, to meet you. It's a privilege to be part of this uh, podcast. So hopefully we'll be able to delve into Old Testament texts. Yes, and see I'm what the so Lord has excited. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Seriously, so grateful you can join us. So let's just dive right in and ask some mm-hmm. questions. All right. So why, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey as a woman in leadership in the church? Okay, well, I'll start, first of all, that I, I grew up in a Roman Catholic uh, home. So uh, women in leadership was not something that was very popular, except the, the nuns that, uh, that I studied with in elementary school. Oh, wow. But uh, I knew that, they, uh, that women could never be priests. Although I remember one of my uncles who was a priest when I was young, he asked me, what do you want to do when you grow older? And I said to him, I want to be a priest. And so it's interesting when I look back now and see, you know, I am a priest. And and, uh, through Christ, I am a priest and serving the Lord. So I became a believer uh, when I was 22. Mm -hmm. I had moved with a friend to Vancouver, British Columbia, and... uh, uh, I didn't know anything about the Bible. I'd never really read the Bible. I all of a sudden encountered this prophet called Malachi oh, and wow. found out that it was Malachi. And uh, so started reading and learning a little bit. Uh, and then the pastor of the church where I became a believer said to me, why don't you go to Bible school? Now, I became a believer in December. I think he told me that sometimes in the spring. He recognized the call on my life, even though I knew very little. Uh-huh. Uh, he recognized my love for the Lord and that, uh, for me, it was like a Damascus Road experience. I just jumped yeah. in, you know, fully. Uh, so my response to him was, was, well, I don't know anything. And he said, well, why do you think people go there? I thought, well, okay, so I guess they go there to learn something. (laughs) What a wise man. Wise words to give. (laughs) He was. He was. And the amazing thing is that, uh, uh, you know, he recognized early on that I had gifts that 
could lead towards ministry. Uh, so I did go to Bible college and then began to intern in the church and eventually became the associate pastor wow. and served as associate pastor for 10 years, five years in that church and five, five years in a plant, uh, church plant. And so it was an interesting experience because, of course, uh, not everybody agreed that as a woman, and that you we're talking about 40 years ago plus. Uh-huh. And so not everybody thought that I should be uh, uh, ordained as a pastor, but I didn't know any better. All I knew was I'm just following the Lord and those who opposed me, some of them in letter form with scriptures underlined in red and that the women should keep silent in the churches and... And uh, so all I could say was, well, how nice of them to take the time to write me a letter. And uh, so it wasn't going to change the direction of my life. Uh, So and what I'm very thankful for is that uh, there were men in leadership who actually opened doors for me. They recognized the call. They were not intimidated. They were not going to suppress the call on a woman. And so I'm very thankful for that. So uh, now what's interesting is that I now teach pastors in training uh-huh. and so teaching in seminary means that you're uh, you know I understand what pastors do because I've been there and I understand what they're being trained for and at one point before I came to Denver Seminary I was uh, a professor in a rabbinic school training rabbis for their ministries wow. and so because of my 10 years in the pastorate I understood what they were training for also and the message was a little bit different. They didn't put Jesus in there. But uh, pastors and rabbis basically do the same thing. Yeah. So, uh, and then I came here and I'm just extremely thankful to continue in this, you know, always working with pastors or pastors in training and, and um, just, uh, just seeing how God opened doors along the way. Sure, so it yeah. really is his doing. Because when I look at, I look back, and there is absolutely no way I could have planned all this. Mm-hmm. So it's a journey that only the Lord could uh, put together. Yeah. So here I am now, uh, thoroughly enjoying what I'm doing. And I love that. Mm-hmm. I love just hearing mm-hmm. your heart of compassion behind mm-hmm. your story. But even what I think is cool with that, too, is it wasn't you weren't alone in that. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of times you're having to do with stuff. Um, but, I mean, the Lord paved the way. Yeah, with your giftings for that, yeah. and how cool! And people affirmed that. Um, yeah, there. I mean, mm-hmm. what a gift! Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for sharing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in most sermons we hear in the church are about men and leadership in the biblical world. Um, so why do we not hear more sermons about women in Scripture in the Bible, especially women of the Old Testament? Yeah, that's uh, interesting. It's true that uh, in most. Uh, you know, contemporary churches, we hear a lot more from the New Testament that we hear than what we hear from the Old Testament. Right. Unfortunately, some of that is related to replacement theology, mm. where um, the Old Testament doesn't matter anymore. Uh, it's all about Jesus, and it's all about the Paul, and it's all about the New Testament. Well, without the Old Testament, there is no New Testament. <laughs> so... Uh, the biblical characters in the Old Testament are as important as the biblical characters in the New Testament because God raised them up, God used them, God spoke through them. Sure. And so it's important for us to go to the Old Testament and really 
um, really learn from uh, the lessons of uh, people and events in the Old Testament. And when you think about the Old Testament too, it is the beginning of the grand narrative of scripture. Yeah. It's hard mm -hmm. to fully understand the complexity of the New Testament yeah. without understanding the Old. Yeah. They're two hands together to exactly, to mm -hmm. Exactly, yeah. and uh, if we compare the number of people who are highlighted in the New Testament, we probably have about that number of women who are highlighted in the Old Testament. Yeah. And so there are a lot of uh, uh, women who are highlighted, but we have to read them within their culture. Mm -hmm. So we have to read scripture as either it is descriptive or prescriptive. Mm, yes. What is descriptive fits in their context and it's acceptable in their context. It's not something that, that may, they may not be traditions or practices that apply to us today. But, uh, but what is prescriptive prescriptive, whether it comes from men or women in, in the Old Testament, uh, still are lessons that we need to walk, uh, walk by today. Mm -hmm. So uh, when we read the Old Testament, we have to make sure that we read it in its own context. And many times people read the Old Testament uh, as if it all happens over a weekend, you know. <laughs> and <Right>. so, but <laughs> you've got, you know, the second millennium text, you know, you've got the Torah or the Pentateuch and then Joshua and Judges, and then you get to the, the, the monarchy and you've got the first millennium. So you have things that happen in the second millennium that fit well there and practices that are different to first millennium because that's after Moses received the law. Right. So there are details that are different. But one of the reasons why women of the Old Testament are often not mentioned is because a lot of them, uh, first of all, the first woman was really given a bad rap because of what happened in Genesis chapter uh, three. Yes. <laughs> and so even the church fathers and over the centuries, she has been looked upon as being uh, you know, the mother of uh, the women, uh, mm -hmm. the female uh, gender. And uh, so because she ended up uh, disobeying, she ended up uh, being tempted and giving into deception, the church fathers, many of the church fathers actually used Eve to really uh, paint women in a very negative way. And sometimes what happens, and also to show that had she been submissive to her husband, mm -hmm. uh, Adam, you know, the world would be uh, such a better place. And, uh, but often they focus on that, that event, and then they jump to the New Testament. They go to Corinthians, they go to Timothy to show, you know, the women, see, the women missed it right off the bat at the beginning. So the women, mm -hmm. uh, you know, this is confirmed by Paul. Mm -hmm. And it's confirmed uh, uh, to the people at Corinth and to Timothy, etc. But uh, so uh, you know, so there's a lot more. There are a lot more wonderful things that we read about women in the Old Testament, mm -hmm. not just uh, what happened to Eve. Now, some people who really want to keep women under the thumb of uh, men also look at women who have made mistakes, for example. Mm -hmm or who had a bad reputation. Uh, you know, you have, uh, uh, for example, just Lot's wife, you know, she disobeyed the instruction. 
and she looked back. She shouldn't have looked back. Uh, Sarah, who sometimes sounds a little bit ruthless in the way she dealt with Hagar. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, the negative side of uh, women uh, has been highlighted by some who don't want to focus too much on them or look mm -hmm. at the good side of women in the Old Testament. And you have uh, Rebecca, who ends up uh, tricking her husband, using uh, Jacob, uh, you know, to trick, uh, uh -huh. uh, using Isaac to trick uh, Jacob. So here we have a, a trickster, you know, yeah. a deceptive woman. Uh, we have other stories. We have uh, Tamar in Genesis chapter 38, who ends up, uh, you know, prostituting herself with Judah. And Judah, we know that his line is the line that will bring mm -hmm. about the, the Messiah, yeah. the, the kingdom forever. And uh, so Tamar was not only a prostitute, but she was called a Zona. There are two kinds of prostitutes in mm. the Hebrew Bible. The Zona is a street prostitute, and the Kadesha is a, a, a temple prostitute. Mm. So Tem what is significant about the difference between those two? Yeah, temple prostitution was much more acceptable because mm. uh, people went there for fertility rites. They were, if they were not able to have children or that type of thing, they would go to the temple and, uh, you know, have have uh, intimate relationship with a Kadesha, with uh -huh. a female temple prostitute. And, of course, this was not uh, God-ordained. But, however, in that culture, it was acceptable. But to go to a zona, a street prostitute, was looked down upon. Mm. <coughs> Excuse me. And so here we have uh, Tamar, uh, who ends up prostituting herself as a zona with her father-in-law. Yeah. And uh, however, in many places where you have these kinds of situations where women are, uh, are in, portrayed in a bad light, God ends up promoting them. Mm -hmm. God ends up using them because she ends up having children who end up being part of who brings about uh, King David, mm -hmm. the line of David. Yep. And so you have also Rahab. I mean, Rahab was a prostitute, a Zona also, mm -hmm. and uh, a street prostitute. So you have a lot of the women of the Old Testament who are portrayed in the bad light. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what do you want to preach? Well, the thing is you can preach redemption. Mm -hmm. Because when you look at her profession of faith, where what she said to the spies is, your God is the living God. I want to join with you. Mm -hmm. You know, she's been waiting for the Israelites to arrive in Jericho so she could join with them. So her story may be related to prostitution, but it's it, the, the most important part is mm -hmm. the story of redemption. Absolutely. And that just talks about the, the character of who God is. Of Absolutely. He is loving yeah. and wants his yeah. creation reconciled like, yeah i mean that's a constant theme throughout scripture yeah. so how cool yeah and it's interesting also that rahab when you think of people who read the the torah and say okay the israelites were to go into canaan and kill all the canaanites well she's the first canaanite they come across and what happens 
she she's redeemed mm. so that was the plan of god for the canaanites and so she's a real example of how god uh, turns the tables of how people think okay destroy all the enemy no the enemy is people who need god Mm-hmm. and who need a relationship with God, and she proves that in that story. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm an artist, and so I think uh, ethereally and uh, about a lot of things, but it makes me think about when you're looking at a picture, um, there's oftentimes an artist will recognize the foreground, the middle ground, yeah. and the background. Mm. Um, and a lot of times we'll focus on what is in the foreground, like which is what is closest to us, yeah. what is nearest to us but if we don't have the background as part of our picture there's no context yeah for that and this mm-hmm. what you're describing gives context for not only who christ is yeah. and where he came from in the lineage of man yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. but also our redemption in that and yeah. that is just such a testament wow. yeah. yeah yeah because rahab went from prostitution to the genealogy mm-hmm. of jesus and so you can see how, you know, the, the pitfalls in our lives, the ditches we fall into, God is well able to redeem us, to pull mm-hmm. us out of the pit and to use us. I mean, there are things that have happened in my life that I look back and think, yeah, I, I never thought the Lord would use me again because of mistakes and, and uh, things that happened. And, but that was not God's plan. God's plan was to redeem me, to put me back on the right path. And, mm-hmm. and he did so in so many women's lives in the Old Testament. I think of the three matriarchs, Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, all three of them barren women, women who are supposed to bring the lineage of the descendants of Abraham, they can't even have children. Mm -hmm. And so how God was so merciful in each one of these situations Mm -hmm. to, uh, so his plan could unfold. Exactly. You know, other women, I think of Ruth, you know, Ruth could have stayed in Moab. She could have continued to worship the gods of Moab. And she didn't. She turned her back on the gods of Moab, and she said to Naomi, your, your God will be my God. Mm-hmm. You know, where you go, I will go. Who you worship, <clears throat> I will worship. Mm-hmm. And so she ends up also being such an example for us of how the Lord worked things, her as a Gentile woman, mm-hmm. Rahab as a Gentile woman, Mm-hmm. And so you have uh, a lot of these situations. It's not just Israelite women that God uh, blessed and, and God healed, but uh, Gentile women that he brought in the fold, no matter what their background was. Yeah. And I mean, this even this theme, even with women in the Old Testament, I mean, that's consistent with the redemptive nature of God to men as well. I mean, yeah. we look at First and Second Kings mm-hmm. time and time again, and yet... The line of Christ still yeah. continued on. Or yeah. The line to Christ still continued yeah. on. So Yeah. God yeah. has a plan. He does. And his plan is going to unfold. Mm-hmm. Nobody can stop it. Exactly. You know, even though things didn't happen, you know. Uh, you know, we read the especially when you read the Old Testament, you know, we read the Bible, we want it to be nice and smooth and but it's full of chaos, full of sibling rivalry. It's full of people who are 
uh, assaulted and people mm-hmm. go through terrible things. But all the way from the beginning to the end, you can see God's hand. Yes. And so even if we go through tribulation, we go through difficult times, mm-hmm. uh, God's hand is there. God is present with us. He yeah. promised he'd never leave us, never forsake us. And uh, one woman, I love to teach uh, this text in Second Samuel chapter 11, the, uh, the story of David and Bathsheba. Mm. Uh, Often, blame has been put on Bathsheba because the way people read the text is uh, often based on wrong English translations. And so immediately at the beginning of the chapter, if you read that Bathsheba was bathing, the word bathing in Hebrew, rachatz, means to wash. Hmm. It's rare that it means bathing. And it's rare that it means to wash oneself because Hmm. there would be a verb form specific to being a reflexive washing oneself. That is not what we read in the text. So often this text has been uh, taught to put blame on on Bathsheba and uh, where it's said that, you know, she was on the roof of her house bathing. Well, absolutely not. Inconceivable in that Mm -hmm. culture that you would do that. And first of all, it tells us that David was on the roof of his house. Uh, She wasn't on the roof of of her house. We don't know exactly where she was. The text doesn't tell us. But just the fact that the translations say she was bathing, immediately we think seductress. And it tells us that she was a beautiful woman. Mm -hmm. So immediately blame goes on her. Mm. But when I often ask my students, show me where she's naked. Nowhere in the text, in the Hebrew text, can you find that she's naked or that there's anything that can be placed on her. So what I see in that story is she ends up being raped by King David, who has all the power. It's abuse of power. And, um, and, she is a victim, mm. and right after this this event, she loses her name. She's the woman, the wife of Uriah. She's no longer mentioned in that whole narrative of chapters 11 and 12 as Bathsheba. She's mentioned as, as the woman. So that story, I think, is very important for women who have been victimized, mm. who have been sexually abused, or have been abused by by any leadership, you know, uh, to show that, uh, first of all, we need to read the text properly. Mm. We need to be very careful and not just rely on traditional reading of the text. We have to look at it more deeply and see what really happened. And she is described in chapter 12 as an innocent little ewe lamb. Mm. So really, uh, through the prophet Nathan, we find out that she hasn't done anything, anything wrong. So sometimes we read stories and, and in teaching and preaching and in commentaries, you see there are insinuations uh, that put people in the wrong light. Mm. And uh, because uh, of a misreading of the text, which mm. is definitely uh, something that has happened in this um, this account, and then she ends up the father, the mother of of Solomon, and then she's in the genealogy of Jesus. 
And so from from being raped and victimized, she ends up being mentioned where God wants her to be mentioned. And he uses her in a powerful way. Mm. And so not an easy life, not, uh, you know, without pain. She lost the baby. And so imagine she lost the baby. She was raped. She lost the baby. She lost her husband, Mm -hmm. Uriah. And then she has to marry the one who victimized her. Mm. And so sometimes I tell people, spend time with her. You know, we know a lot about King David. We have lots of stories about King David. But spend time with her and try to feel what she felt Mm. and try to walk this journey with her. Yeah, such a perspective change. Yeah, sure. yeah. So a real story of redemption. But also. that's a that's a good example, though, of good hermeneutics and why it's mm-hmm. important to study the scripture. What advice would you give to someone to not um, read literally, but to understand the culture and the context? Yeah, yeah. So I mentioned earlier that we need to decipher between what is descriptive and what is prescriptive. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes we read everything as if it were prescriptive. Mm -hmm. Well, no, it's a description of what's happening in that context. And just reading the text itself, we don't get all the information about the culture. We need to go read outside Mm -hmm. uh, and do research outside. And so anyone who's going to teach or preach uh, scripture on any text has to go and, and find out why this is said, who Mm -hmm. the audience is, what the purpose is, uh, and not just take a text out of its context, bring it to the U.S., interpret it there, and then, you know, Mm -hmm. end with an application. Mm -hmm. I think if, if people preach the text in their context, you don't even have to bring it to America. Mm. You can really, uh, teach people what was really going on in the lives of mm-hmm. uh, these individuals, these biblical characters. Yeah. And, and uh, I mean, the lessons, often you don't even have to do much with the lessons. The sure. Holy Spirit really speaks through, mm-hmm. you know, if you teach what's there, the Holy Spirit will really yeah. uh, show what he wants to show. The power of hearing someone else's story. Amen. Yeah. Amen. And I, you know, you didn't talk about this, but also um, within the Old Testament, I know that polytheism and mm-hmm. was such a big part of the culture around the Israelites, and a yeah. lot of that had to do. There was a uplifting of goddesses, which is another yeah. form of, I mean, yeah. idolic worship, and mm-hmm. um, that also didn't put women in a great light either. So yeah. yeah, yeah, but we have several women who are named as prophetesses, mm-hmm. and so they're not just given the title of a prophetess, Mm -hmm. but what a prophet cannot be identified as a prophet unless he speaks. Mm -hmm. So a prophetess cannot be identified as a prophetess unless she speaks. Mm. She speaks with authority. She speaks in the name of the Lord. She speaks, uh, you know, and others recognize that what is spoken. So when I look at the uh, prophetesses uh, of the Old Testament, the good ones, I mean, you have, you know, some who are 
uh, on the other side of the fence, which shows us that there were prophetesses altogether, uh-huh. good and bad. Yeah. And yeah. Um, but uh, I think of uh, you know uh, Miriam was a prophetess. She's mentioned as a prophetess, so uh-huh. she spoke with authority. And um, uh, you know what, we don't have any words spoken by. Uh, Isaiah's wife, who was a prophetess, um, you know, we don't even know her name. We know the name of her son, Maher Shalal Hashbaz. Mm-hmm. And so it's a great Hebrew name. So if you're ever looking for a name for a <laughs> kid, and Maher Shalal Hashbaz. So quick to the plunder. Yes, I mean, that's what go. she says, but she doesn't prophesy. But we know she's identified as a Nevi'ah as a prophetess Mm -hmm. and other women like that. I think of the story of Huldah in 2 Kings uh, chapter 22. She she is a, I mean, I think you've got several sermons there. And uh, (laughs) because the, the, it's a wonderful account of the Torah being found in the temple that was being restored under the reign of Josiah and who was a good king. And uh, those who found Hilkiah, the high priest, brought the scroll to the king to be read to the king. And the king said to his messengers, go and consult with Huldah so we can know the word of the Lord on this matter. What is this, you know? And uh, so here's the king, and here are the messengers, here's the the high priest, Hilkiah, um, all of them depending on the words of Huldah, who actually I'll read a little bit from Second Kings chapter 22, verses 16 to 20. Um, and here, this is her saying this, thus says the Lord. Now, those are the words that she is speaking. Behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants, all the words of the book that the king of Judah has read. Because they have forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the work of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be kindled against this place, and it will not be quenched. But to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Here's a prophetess speaking this to the king. Regarding the words that you have heard, because your heart was penitent and you humbled yourself before the Lord, I have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, I will gather you to your fathers and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace and your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I will bring bring upon this place. Mm. So if you think about the authority that she had, the the ministry that she had, where it was obviously recognized by the leadership, the political leadership was recognized by the leadership in the temple. And so because they came to her, they knew wow. they, they wouldn't get the answer unless they came to her. And her answer is, thus says the Lord, twice in this passage. And she prophesies the downfall of uh, the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah. And then she prophesies that it's not going to happen during the days of uh, Josiah because he has a repentant heart and a soft heart before God. And so, and her words are heeded. 
You know, and so I think uh, I've, I don't know that I've ever heard a sermon on Hulda. Have you? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't, I, I don't think I have. I mean, that's yeah. a great place to go for. Um, but it's such a testament to how the Lord utilizes so many um, yeah. prophetesses yeah. In, in the Old yeah. Testament to really yeah. speak truth to people. And yeah. that's the Lord's work. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And Deborah. In Judges 4 and 5, the same thing. Mm -hmm. The the leader comes to her Mm -hmm. and say, okay, so should we go? Should we not go? I'm not going, Deborah, if you're not coming with us, you know. (laughs) And I think, wow, uh, I think it's important for us to stop and visualize what's really happening, that they go to a woman on whom the anointing is, uh, who is recognized publicly to be someone who speaks in the name of the Lord. So the, uh, she has a, an amazing uh, impact on what's going on in those days. Mm. And then, of course, we have the song of Deborah. I will sing unto the Lord for he has joined close in the... Uh, no, that's Miriam's song. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, but anyways, hers is good too. Yeah, lots of songs. In, yeah. yeah, and not only was she a prophetess, she was also a judge. Mm-hmm. And so she was at the uh, uh, at the gates, and people who needed to have judgments on cases or needed wisdom to sort out uh, different things trusted her as a leader. And mm-hmm. uh, so when I hear people say, "Well, God used women because there were no men available," I don't think so. There were a lot of men there, mm-hmm. and a lot of men available. God used the men and God used the women. Mm-hmm. It just so happens that the text is written in a context that is a, patri- patristi- a patri- patriarchal context. Mm-hmm. Therefore, much of what is written uh, and most of the stories have to do with the culture in which uh, there is patriarchy. Yeah, and that leads me to a great question. of We often discuss this issue of patriarchy in the context of the church. Do you think that patriarchy has affected society as a whole, maybe in the U.S. or even outside the U.S.? Yes. Unfortunately, uh, you know, there, uh, it's, a, uh, it's a long history of uh, the patriarchal ethos, if you want, mm-hmm. uh, trying to prevent women Uh, from being everything that God wants them to be. Not just everything they want to be, but everything that God wants them to be. And of course, there are a lot of men who are supportive of of women in leadership and do not live uh, as if they were the patriarchs and uh, the ones at the top. Now, I think that the impact... uh, is is um, way beyond the church. I mean, the impact of patriarchy, first of all, in the church has impacted women in leadership. Mm-hmm. Uh, many denominations will ordain women, but will not hire them. Mm-hmm. Uh, will ordain women, but never give them the pulpit, never give them a chance to really speak. Um, the ceiling is sometimes kept low because of this. It's a mentality. And I think it's a mentality that needs to be broken. Uh, there's When you look around the world and see the impact over the centuries and the millennia of the damage that patriarchy has done in many, many places. Uh, and I was looking at... Uh, um, a book, a book that was just uh, 
well, came out recently, is 2018. There are a few books that have come out, but Scars Across Humanity, mm. Understanding and Overcoming Violence Against Women by Elaine Storkey, who has written, written several books mm. uh, on uh, violence against women, that type of thing. And she talks about uh, around the world what the damage that uh, just the patriarchal mentality has done and often is not stopped at all. And uh, she talks about sex trafficking and prostitution of women, honor killing, especially in, mu in Muslim countries. Uh, she talks about uh, one of the issues she deals with, a whole chapter on that, female genital mutilation in many mm, countries wow. around the world. And uh, so there, she gives um, you know examples of the work that is being done to teach people, educate people, that this type of oppression, this type of treatment of, uh, around the world uh, damages society. And I was looking at, um, you know, uh, for names of activists mm -hmm. against this horror, this cutting horror that is still taking place in many countries today. And uh, five of them that I've, men that I've uh, heard mentioned, one of them, a 32-year-old now from the Gambia, uh, she founded an organization called Safe Hands for Girls to fight against female genital mutilation and mm -hmm. child marriage. 32 years old. 32 wow. years old because she went through it herself when she was young. Oh, my goodness. So she saw the damage and that it's doing, not just did to her, but did to her people. Mm -hmm. And uh, another woman named uh, Ifra Ahmed uh, in Somalia she started a foundation called IFRA Foundation to fight against this mutilation and any gender-based violence. And her story is told in the movie called A Girl from Mogadishu. And so I actually uh, downloaded it. Can't wait to watch it. I haven't yet, but uh, I want to hear her story. Because some women who have gone through the horrors of... Uh, you know, effects of patriarchy in some countries have now arisen and are willing to fight publicly, not without uh, opposition, of course. But one of them is a doctor from Somaliland, Dr. Miriam Dahir. It was during her training as a medical doctor that she saw so many women suffer and so many women having a difficult time in childbirth because of this horror, uh, this horrific practice. And another woman in Kenya, another in Sierra, Sierra Leone, who actually was mutilated at the age of 12, mm -hmm. uh, she started also an organization and to fight against these things. So patriarchy is something that it's, is prevalent in so mm -hmm. many forms and has uh, affects people, affects women in so many ways around the globe. Yeah, absolutely. And I read uh, a quote from uh, Nicole Kidman, who is now a UN Women Goodwill Ambassador. Wow, and who knew? <laughs> yeah, she's a good actress. Everybody knows her as an uh -huh. actress, but now she goes around the world. And let me just read a little quote here. Her efforts are geared towards raising awareness of the infringement of women's human rights around the world with a particular focus on putting a spotlight on violence against women. 
and she, she wrote, one in three women may suffer from abuse and violence in her lifetime. This is an appalling human right violations as it remains one of the invisible and under-recognized pandemics of mm. our time. Yeah. So, you know, we look at biblical women, we look at some of the difficulties they face, and we look at us as modern women who are called of God to serve God with all our heart, mind, and soul. And, uh, but that's not, those are not the only places where we see the effects of patriarchy. We mm -hmm. can see the damage that it has done, uh, I, you know, to women in many, many cultures around the world. Yeah, and we've talked about patriarchy in modern contexts. We've talked about it in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. um, but before we met for this podcast, um, we sent you the Kevin Giles article entitled Complementarian Theology in Crisis. Yeah. Um, so what do you think about Giles' approach to hierar hierarchical complementarianism? I mean, it's a, has, it was originally presented by George Knight III. Yeah. Um, and a lot of that yeah. kind of will touch on, like, the creation and whatnot, too. Yeah, that's right. And so I think the paradigm by which we uh, live in wanting to please God or seeing ourselves as people created in the image of God, the paradigm has, has to be based on the actual creation before the fall when everything was perfect mm -hmm. or the paradigm after the fall. Exactly. And yeah. so many times people say, well, this is just the way it is, you know, but those are effects of the fall. But what is the pristine paradigm or the, the God-given paradigm, and we see that in Genesis chapter 1. Mm -hmm. I love uh, Giles' uh, response to Knight's uh, teaching on hierarchical complementarianism. Uh, he bases it on the Trinity, and that's only if you adopt a hierarchical Trinitarian view Mm -hmm. You don't have to. You can adopt what is called a perichoretic uh, Trinitarian view, which means that the, the three persons of the Trinity are in perfect harmony, complete difference to one another, mm -hmm. uh, that there is no one above the other. Sure, uh, yeah. There are different roles, different functions. But uh, if we use the perichoretic uh, model uh, in families, in relationships, in the church, in, uh, in deferring to one another as we pray together, as we trust the Lord together, as we listen to one another, um, I think we'd be in much better shape sure. than, uh, than having this hierarchical model. Uh, uh, but so one of the things that uh, Knight teaches is that in uh, Genesis chapters 1 and 2, he uses both, uh, is that because the man was created first, then, uh, you know, he has preeminence. Well, that's not the case, because in Genesis chapter 1, when God says, Adam menu." Let us, or, you know, we, we're going to create mankind. Adam doesn't mean man, male, mm -hmm. until a few chapters later. And so in uh, chapter 1, you have Adam, which represents mankind. Mm -hmm. And to Adam, the instructions are given to rule 
uh, overall of creation because everything else was created. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, all of uh, creation was already there, and but no one was there to rule. And it's interesting that the verb to rule, yirdu, is in the plural. Mm-hmm. It's talking to Adam, mankind, rule, male and female. Sure. And then uh, the the next verse where it says, Peru ou revu ou milu et haaret. So um, be fruitful, multiply, and uh, fill the earth. It's mm-hmm. all in the plural. So what is said to Adam includes what is said to male and female. And so Adam is mankind, and then you have two, two words that are used for male and female. Zachar, male, mm-hmm. nekeva, female. So, but the instructions, if they were given in the singular to only Adam, then I think, okay, maybe he has an argument. But it's not. It's yeah. given in the plural. And um, so immediately uh, the idea that man was created first. We mm-hmm. have a second creation narrative, which is for a different purpose in chapter 2. Mm-hmm. And But the first creation is really perfect harmony. And, uh, and then uh, in chapter 2, where you have... Uh, I, I, you know, find it interesting. You go to a, we- a wedding and you hear the ministers say, "Oh, it is not good for men to be alone." You know, poor little guy. Yeah. And I, I can't take that <laughs> because, first of all, for me, that um, that takes away from who men are. Mm. Okay, so. If a man is a full person created in the image of God, marrying a full person, female, created in the image of God, the miracle is not one half plus one half equal one. Mm -hmm. The miracle is one plus one equal one. Mm -hmm. And so the, you know, the poor little man, you know, is all by himself. And and, uh, you may have had that at your own wedding. (laughs) I don't know. Oh, no. But but when I hear this... um, I think, okay, that's not all that is said. Mm. Why is this said? It's because in chapter 1, it is clear that the instructions to rule, to multiply, to be fruitful, takes both. Mm -hmm. So it's not an idea of loneliness or weakness. or um, You can be alone and not be lonely. Mm-hmm. I've never been married. I'm, you know, I have no husband, but I'm not, I don't see myself as a half person. And right. I'm not uh, lonely. I'm alone a lot, but I'm not lonely. Mm-hmm. So in chapter two, I don't see what is written there as saying, oh, poor, poor male. He's so lonely. We got to create him a, a female. Uh, no, he cannot fulfill by himself the mandate. Uh, to rule, be fruitful, multiplying, fill the earth without uh, having the ezer kenegdo, without having the helper mm-hmm. corresponding to him. Because ezer, help, we think of a helper, people think a subordinate. Mm-hmm. Well, how often in scripture is God called an ezer? Mm-hmm. Many times in prophetic literature, in the book of Psalms. And so he, if he's an Ezer, God is surely not subordinate to us. No, absolutely not. And uh, so the fact that there is a corresponding, but of course different, you know, uh, 
then together they rule. And it's really in chapter one, Yirdu, to rule over all of creation. Mm-hmm. So the mandate is given to both of them equally. And, and they need each other. And chapter two shows us that, that they need each other, that it cannot happen without both of them mm-hmm. equally being there. It's a mutual mandate. Mutual mandate, absolutely. Go. Yeah, and um, I mean, further, along with the subordinate role, uh, if, if the argument for God created women to be the helper in a subordinate way, I mean, then the punishment that happens in Gen- Genesis 3 Yeah. Uh, means nothing new it's not really a punishment so yeah yeah, i I think those are great points to talk about yeah i mean we're you know male and female are created in the image of god we Mm -hmm. all have the same ability to totally fulfill Mm -hmm. uh what god has called us to do as male and female there's a reason why i'm a female there's a reason why we have males it's we're in this together yep you know and we have to to really make sure that uh, we enhance one another Mm. in fulfilling the plan of God. Absolutely. Well, I have one last question for you. Mm -hmm. Uh, What would you say to younger women who tell you that there is a call of God on their life? Oh, all kinds of good stuff. (laughs) Uh, What would I say? Well, as someone who teaches in seminary, of course, I often have women, uh, younger women who... Uh, in MDiv who come and share that there is a call in their lives and they're not sure. And and, uh, so, um, first of all, one thing that's important for men and women is to keep your priorities straight. Mm -hmm. Uh, Who are you? Who has God created you to be? Are you uh, married? Do you have children? you can be called of God, but you can co- not compromise on the responsibilities that God has given you. So for one thing is ministry doesn't come uh, before family. Mm-hmm. God comes first, spouse and children come next, and ministry comes after. Mm-hmm. And only when this is kept in order can there be peace. Or else, uh, once ministry, and often that's what happens to all ministers, male and female, is uh, you want to meet all the needs of everybody. And so you're never at peace with yourself Mm -hmm. because uh, you always know that you're compromising somewhere. Mm -hmm. So keeping uh, priorities straight. Uh, recognizing the men and respecting the men who are helping you and making the way for you in yes. ministry is very mm-hmm. important. Um, there was a, um, a group of feminists in a conference not too long ago in November, and uh, I was kind of glad it was all on online. So I asked a question. Uh, so I think they were women in the academy or something like that. Have you... Uh, thought of how you can uh, acknowledge and respect and, um, you know, publicly thank the men who have helped you get Mm. there. And one woman uh, said, you know, I don't know where that question is coming from, but, you know, this is not about men. It's all about women right now. Mm. And so uh, I was disappointed because I thought, okay, no, we're in this together. You know, we have to recognize one another. Um, Don't wait for people to agree with you, for everybody to agree with you. Uh, 
If it's a call of God, some people will agree to, uh, with you. Some people will recognize the call on your life, but don't think everybody will. And don't wait until everybody agrees with you and says, yes, that's, that's mm -hmm. God, before moving forward. You have to take steps. And as I uh, shared earlier, when I started in the ministry and receiving letters with anonymous letters, which I thought was always interesting with mm. scriptures underlined and that I shouldn't speak in the church. And, and, um, and, you know, I thought, okay, thank you. You know, I think I'm going to follow the Lord. I'm going to follow my heart. I'm going to mm -hmm. follow where the Lord is leading me. Mm -hmm. And so I appreciate your concern. You know, I disagree, but, uh, and so, and usually the letters, because they were anonymous, ended up in the G file, you know. But uh, mm -hmm. anyways, uh, but I thought, okay, first of all, some, I didn't even know all the issues at that time. I was so, so new as a believer mm -hmm. uh, that I didn't know how to, you know, right. really debate the issue, which to me was, uh, was not something I wanted to get into anyways. Uh, expect resistance, which is something that... Mm -hmm. um, not only some people will not agree with you, but some people will resist, and some people will try may try to stop you. And actually, even today, I received a text from a woman who's a pastor who uh, was actually expressing a concern that in her context, she, fa she feels that one of uh, the difficulties she's facing right now is because she's a woman in ministry. Mm. And so she has good support and she is respected as a uh, female pastor and the Lord will take care of the situation wow. because she's walking with him. Um, stop fighting to be recognized as a leader. Because sometimes we're so eager, you know, I've been ordained and I've been, you know, I know there's a call on my life. But you know what? After a while, uh, you think, okay, the fight is not worth it. Mm -hmm. It's often just aggravating. Follow the Lord. The Lord opens doors. Yes, he uses people to open doors, but don't try to fight your way and put your foot in the door and try to pry it open because uh, that doesn't work. That only brings frustration. Sure. So make sure that your heart is at peace and don't try to uh, prove to anyone, you know, uh, that, you know, you're called. People who are sensitive to the Lord will recognize the call. And last thing I want to say is Make the way for other women mm. to follow in your footsteps. As you grow in your ministry, as you move forward, uh, make sure that you recognize the call on other women uh, and help them, support them, encourage them, pray for them, pray with them. And, um, you know, just... Uh, Make sure that they know that they're not alone and uh, that God's going to make the way. Absolutely. So these are some of the things I, I say to yeah. women who are called of God. And those, I mean, wise words, mm. <laughs> for sure. And uh, definitely a testament to um, the discipleship that has mm. been called upon us all. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for your willingness to hop on and share with us not only your story, but just mm -hmm. your research and just knowledge about scripture, just what mm -hmm. a gift it has been. 
Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah. I appreciate that, Taylor. Um, and thanks to all of you guys for who listened in with us today at CBE Denver's Mutuality Minded Podcast. Um, we are looking forward to continuing this conversation further about what mutuality looks like in the New Testament on our next episode. Uh, if you want more information about CBE Denver or would like to engage in further dialogue about the topics we've discussed here, check out our website at cbedenver.com or visit our Facebook and Instagram pages for more information. And wherever you may be, driving to work, hitting the gym, have a normal life around your home, thanks for joining us today. And remember, stay mutuality-minded. Until next time.